Hi, I'm Dr. Whitney Hauser, and thank you for joining us for Dry Eye Coach Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Shannon Bream, who is the anchor of Fox News at night. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. You're going to give us some great insight into the patient perspective today. And, and you know, as doctors, we often hear from our patients about the, the symptoms of dry eye, but sometimes our patients, I think, have a little bit of a difficult time conveying the real heart of the message to us. So I really appreciate you joining us today. I am happy so to. I'm gonna, and it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a topic that yeah, I think more people need to hear about um, to help folks on all sides of the equation, certainly um, physicians who can be lifesavers in this, but um, just for people who feel discouraged out there and are looking for help too. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It, it is a two-sided coin because, you know, as doctors, sometimes you, you hear patients, but do you really listen kind of thing? And uh, as patients, as I think your story kind of is going to illustrate for us, it can be really frustrating and, and beyond frustrating to a point where, you just don't know what you're going to do. So, you know, tell us, you know, when did this become a problem for you? When was dry? The, when did it all start? Well, you know, I was one of those little kids who wore glasses. Like in elementary school, I was very early on. I needed help. I started contacts in middle school. And I don't know if everybody would now say that's the greatest idea, but I was desperate to get rid of my glasses. And so I'd been in contacts for decades by the time I started having the dry eye trouble, which was late 30s, getting close to my 40th birthday. And I mm -hmm. really didn't know kind of what to do with it. I, you know, I would have situations where I would get, my contacts would get dried out and I would take drops and that kind of thing. That was never a real problem for me. But when I started having erosions um, and that mm -hmm. coupled with the dryness was just a really bad combination for me. And that was getting close to my 40th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you tried drops. What, mm -hmm. what all did you try over, over the years? You know, I would try any kind of re-wetting drop, anything specifically for contacts. And then I, you know, was having conversations with my doctor about should I be wearing them less? I went through a period of when the extended wearers came out, I wore those, which seems crazy now. And, and I, there are so many other options now, and they're much thinner and seem more breathable. But, you know, as a teenager, you're not the most responsible person in the world sometimes with your contact care. Um, so True. I had a or lot of... Else. Right. I mean, I had a lot of dried out contacts. Um, but, you know, generally I would just use re-wetting drops and things um, when it would spring up if I would um, have, you know, times where I'd probably worn them too long, needed to get them out. Um, you know, and it was around that time that my doctor was also encouraging me like, hey, maybe you do more time with your glasses, less times with the contacts. But he also told me, you know, this is part of the aging process and women often he has patients that, you know, around that 40th birthday really start to have more of the trouble with a dry eye. Right. It's exactly, that's a true story. But how did you mm -hmm. feel, you know, being on camera and they're telling you wear your glasses? That's the solution that they're providing to you. Was mm -hmm. that, how did that make you feel? Well, I knew there was a lot of time off camera that I could do that and that right. it would be better for my eyeballs to probably get some rest. Right. Um, and that did seem to help me in some respects, but I also was having trouble, and then I was having trouble whether I had the contacts in or out. By the way, there's so many cool glasses and frames now that I think you, you can get a <laughs> signature look, and so many people on TV wear them. They're like, oh, that's kind of their thing. Um, so I, yeah. I love my glasses that I have, and I do wear them when I need them um, at night or in darker situations um, where right. you're not as dilated. So um, I think, you know, God bless you. There are cute glasses out there for every age and face and gender and whatever, you know, um, you can find them. Right. 
Um, yeah. But I, I found that I was having trouble even in and out of contacts and glasses. And so I knew for me it was going to be um, beyond just more time in the glasses. So how many doctors do you think you might have seen over the years for this problem? You know, the first doctor that I saw who I would generally get fitted for my lenses and glasses, after he saw me a couple of times and I was having these nighttime erosions, he quickly realized that it was going to be more complicated than just some drops and some dry eye situation. And he was good enough to say to me, like, listen, I think you need to see someone that's a little bit more specialized in this. I want to help you, but I think you need to go to the next step. So I found someone um, who came highly recommended, is kind of on the local list of, you know, top doctors, that kind of thing. And when I see him, and at that point, I was really suffering with the erosions, which are extraordinarily painful, and trying to manage dry eye and the erosions I was having. And I was, you know, I was pretty frazzled by the time that I got to him, but trying to be professional and communicate as clearly as I could to him about what I was going through. And I don't know if something was lost in translation there, but I felt like um, he didn't take it very seriously, (laughs) but I tried to follow the advice he gave me, and I started using a heavier ointment overnight, which definitely was helpful, Um, but I still was having so much pain, and when I went back to him after probably three or four months, um, I tried to convey to him again, like, listen, I am in pain a lot. I, my vision is suffering. I can't sleep. I'm really having a tough time. Uh, and he said to me, you know, I really think you're a little emotional about this. And that was the wrong yeah. thing for him to say to me because <laughs> I was barely holding it together for that appointment. I'm like, well, he's definitely right. I'm definitely emotional about this. But I just felt like somehow we did not connect about the seriousness of right. the problem I felt like I was having. And I left there and I was crying in my car and I said, okay, you've got to find someone new. Are you too emotional? Are you crazy? Are you losing it over this problem? And I started to think, is it me? And for a while, I did not go back to the doctor. I sort of suffered in silence, tried to figure out my own combination of drops and ointments um, and was just really discouraged because I thought, man, if I've seen two professionals who can't help me, um, maybe I'm just sort of stuck in this in this situation. Right. Well, you know, there's a, you know, comorbidity of dry eye and depression and anxiety. And sometimes the question is, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, patients like you have real problems and they go in and they're kind of dismissed a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it is a struggle and it is emotional. And if I were you and a doctor had said that to me, I think if I weren't emotional, I would have gotten emotional (laughs) right on the spot. So that's hard to It is because you're kind of looking for a lifeline at that point, like just three, you know, please throw me a life preserver, somebody like I don't, I'm not a medical professional. I don't have answers. All I know is I'm in a lot of pain. And when you can't sleep, I think that's an, that really exacerbates everything because now you're sleep deprived, you're exhausted, which is going to sap your emotions and your ability to think logically and, um, and to kind of problem solve and, you know, still working a full job and living your full life. But Kind right. of, I got into this place where I thought, man, this is, I'm just barely, truly surviving. I mean, I started to search online, which is the worst thing because I always tell people, you know, you go online for an illness and you find out you've got like approximately 17, you know, 17 seconds to live. I mean, it's, don't go there if you're not a medical professional. That's not, but well, you know, I, would, I, yeah, I would find message boards that would have people describing similar symptoms. And that kind of started me on a trail to have a better way to explain to my doctor what I was going through. Yeah, there's good and bad sides to the information that you get on the internet. Certainly, if you go in and you Google headaches, the odds are you're going to come up with a brain tumor, right? Exactly, exactly. But you can also find support, (laughs) you know, and you can find people that are like-minded as well. 
Yeah, and through these message boards, what I was trying to find are symptoms so I could figure out what do I have, how do I better describe this so I can get help. And what I found on some of these message boards were people who were completely despondent, which I found myself, now we're almost two years into the process now, I found myself there where I'm thinking, this isn't really a life. I'm in pain and exhausted all the time. I'm hiding this so I can continue working and being professional. My husband's really the only person who sees this in the middle of the night and up and down and you know, with with compresses and washcloths and potions and trying to do whatever I can. So I found these message boards where people were describing the exact sensations and the problems. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. What is this? What is this called? Um, And it gave me just a better vocabulary to go get some help. And I remember reading on some of the message boards about people who said, I've been turned away from the emergency room. They tell me that I'm crazy and no one will help me. And I'm thinking, I get that, you know, and there were people who were talking there about being so despondent, like they wanted to take their lives. And I thought, I get what you're saying. Like I'm two years into Mm -hmm. this and thinking I can't, this can't be the rest of my life. And I really Mm -hmm. just sat down and had a heart to heart with my husband about where I was. And he knew that I'd I'd hesitated for so long to go back to the doctor because I just didn't know what to do after that last appointment. And he said, Let's tackle this. Let's find you somebody. We'll keep going if we got to go through 10 doctors. Luckily for me, it was number three. Um, and that third doctor <laughs> that I saw um, has been a fantastic, literal lifesaver for me and um, really sat and listened to me. He went through my chart. He talked to me after um, the PA had done a full prep so that when he walked in the room, he said to me what I needed to hear. He said, I think I know what's wrong. And I thought, thank God this person is going to listen to me and we're going to figure this out. And um, just him taking the time and seeing probably that I was emotional, um, but, you know, being sensitive to that and and, um, helping me to find the vocabulary to help him so we could solve this thing was huge. Right. I mean, you have to be your own advocate, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in healthcare. And it's hard because sometimes folks don't, they do look emotional. They don't have the vocabulary. And I think that's probably the key is saying the right words to the doctor. And I think that matters, unfortunately, because it's really not the patient's role, but it really does sort of facilitate it and push the conversation along. So kudos to you for for doing that. Well, and people can't be mind readers. It's just like, you know, if you go to your hairstylist and then you say, well, I want X, Y, Z. That's what Mike always says. I don't trust what you're saying that we're going to see the same thing. Bring me a picture. (laughs) You know, like we got (laughs) to know that we're talking about the same thing here. And it was the same thing with my doctor when I was able to give him exact descriptions about the pain, when it was happening, how it was happening, what I was using. Um, and, and it just helped to spark a conversation. And it was the first time in two years that I had hope when he said to me, um, there are so many things we can do to tackle this from, you know, zero to a hundred. Let's start at one and we'll go and, um, we'll figure out what works for you. And there are options. We're going to figure this out. And that was just, um, it breathed really such relief into me and such hope into me that I thought, okay, I can keep going and, and we can do this. Right, right. The hope is what a lot of these patients lose, honestly. And the, right. the downside for patients as it comes to drives, it's typically not vision-threatening. Mm-hmm. So it's quality of life compromising. And mm-hmm. doctors don't always lean in when vision's not at stake, not mm-hmm. as much. Yeah, because, so, I mean, obviously that's, that's I'm sure, the number one priority when people come in, they need to see clearly or they have serious, you know, issues going on with their vision. Um, I think sometimes if you don't, if you can't accurately describe what you're suffering with dry eye, 
Um, I now, because I've put my story out there, will get emails and DMs from people, um, and I just hear the agony in their voice. And not long ago, within the last couple of years, the young woman who was a local meteorologist um, who had dry eye issues and had surgery issues and it ended up taking her life. And I read her story right. and I just sat in my house and cried because I thought, oh my goodness, if I could have just heard her story, heard that she was suffering, say to her, like, please don't throw in the towel. I mean, it, it can right. be extremely overwhelming for people. And I think sometimes we're ashamed or embarrassed that we are suffering so much on, as you mentioned, the depression side or the mental health side along with the physical um, and it just can be a really bad spiral for some people. Right. Absolutely. So what would you like to tell doctors? What would you like for them to know? What's a great takeaway from a patient perspective for a physician? Oh, I mean, really just I know everybody is so busy and I know that you got to keep the patients moving. But even if they can feel like you can just listen for five minutes, just kind of let them pour everything out. Um, you're going to hear clues, I'm sure, along the way that make more sense to you than they do to them. Um, and so I think just sort of, I, I always tried to go in with a note and to write on paper so that if I did get flustered or emotional or feel, feel hurried, I would say these are the things I need to communicate to the doctor. And sometimes I would give them the piece yep. of paper. Um, so I right. think even as busy and the demands I know that are on doctors, if you could just listen for a few minutes let somebody unload. I know you can't, you're not a therapist. You can't be there for 20 minutes listening to all their problems. Um, but I think if people feel heard, then they feel there's a little bit more trust. They can be more vulnerable and kind of open up in a way that may help you to get the clues to solving their particular problem. Yeah. I love what you said about let them get it all out. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these patients come in and I think they get cut off. Mm-hmm. And when they're cut off, they don't, like you said, reach the end of their story and their journey with the doctor. And I don't think they feel that level of satisfaction of being heard. So mm-hmm. I think it's not just tell your story, it's tell your whole story. Mm-hmm. And and you can really get into therapy then. So I think that's great. I think mm-hmm. that's great. You're really giving a lot of insight into, um, into what can really help doctors better uh, serve their patients. Yeah, I hope so, because, I so, mean, the doctor that, you know, has ultimately helped me and been with me on this journey, um, like I said, I mean, he he kind of gave me time to pour it out, and I was telling myself the whole time, like, don't cry, don't get upset, don't, don't get emotional, because <laughs> it together. I know, keep it together, um, you know, just because you want to be, appear professional and, um, like, you're, <laughs> like, you're, um, you know, a rational person, um, but he just right. kind of let me just put it all out there. And, and, you know, what was tough for me is that I have some complicating factors. And once he figured out what was going on in that first visit, um, at the end, towards the end of the visit, he said to me, um, you need to know in particular what you have. There's no cure for that. And for right. me, I just sort of, I didn't hear anything else he said after that because it was <laughs> like I'd had this drink, this sip of water after being in the desert for two years and I'd, yeah. I'd just been drinking and everything he said. And when he said that, I mean, it's important for the patient to remember, too, like, you can't just shut down. You know, I mean, right. I don't even remember how I got out of the office that day. I was so upset because I thought, oh, no, I'm never getting better. But right. thank God I had a follow-up appointment. And I went back and he said, nope, this is how we're going to do it. There are all these things that right. can help you to get better. So patients have to listen, too. Yeah. There's, you know, a lot of things, particularly in dry, there's not a fix not a mm-hmm. solution. You don't cross the finish line, but 
there are ways that we can help you feel better, live mm-hmm. a better life, have better quality of life. So it's not every waking minute you're, you know, obsessed about it because it's, it's wrecking you, you know? Right. Exactly. And when people, like you said, when they have that hope, they can go on. They can try another, you know, therapy or try another um, avenue because everybody is so different, I find, when it comes to this. And, and I'll have people, you know, reach out to me, coworkers or strangers, and say, hey, I'm having this eye problem. What do you use? What do you do? And I'm like, listen. It's all trial and error for me. You've got to find the right drops for you that if you need, you know, your tear ducts plugged or whatever it is, everybody's right. got their own path. So, yes, these are the 10 things that have worked for me, but just don't freak out if they don't work for you because right. everybody's got to do a little bit of trial and error to see. Um, with dry eye, I find it's very individual. It is. It is. And that's great advice to give to friends and colleagues who contact you. Is it is so individual and, and to not give up. The hope component is a huge part mm-hmm. of it, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, I think once you have that, you can you can keep one foot in front of the other. You can keep going. Right. Absolutely. That, that's his life, right? As long as mm-hmm. you have hope, you can keep on, keep mm-hmm. on going. So on a very different note, but also kind of a, a bright note as well, tell us about your book, Finding the Bright Side. Yeah, you know, um, I, I and honestly, there were two chapters in the book that were so hard for me to go back and write because I think all of us go through things in life, um, a health scare or a loss or something really painful, losing a loved one or a job, whatever it is. Um, right. It really was hard to go back and unearth some of this, the worst moments with my eyes. And also, my husband's actually a brain tumor survivor. And those are the two oh, worst wow. chapters to write in the book because you just remember basically the hell that you live through. But the whole right. purpose in writing the book was to say, listen, I have gotten fired. I have thought that I've had such a horrible health issue that I had very dark thoughts and a lot of depression. I've been through this with my husband, but there's a way through. There really is a bright side to everything you go through. I find I've become a much more empathetic person. I'm so much more thankful for everything um, in my day. I literally, I'm a person of faith, and I, as I was coming through this and started to be able to get relief um, ending up having a surgery and getting my vision back as a result of that, feeling like, right. oh, my gosh, I can read that street sign, and literally stopping and saying a prayer like, I'm not in pain, my eyes aren't dry, and I can read that street sign. Thank you, God. I mean, I That's just, right. you know, I, so the book is all about, you know, funny stories, sad stories, but just that there really is purpose in all of the ups and downs, the pain, and that um, I think going through the worst things has made me a better, much more grateful person, and I think that's just a good place to be. Absolutely. I, you couldn't have said it better. And I think we should all look all look for the bright side, and sometimes when you're in those dark places, it's really hard to find. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. But know that there are people who care about you, and there are people who will throw you a lifeline no matter who you are and what your situation is. There's help out there, regardless of what you're struggling with or going through. It's there. Right. Well, beautifully said. You know, Shannon Bream, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my privilege. And and listen, for folks out there, um, like you said, don't give up. There are solutions. There is help. There are people who care about you. um, And just keep uh, advocating for yourself and you'll get there. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us today for Dry Eye Coach Podcast.